Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Armor Report, everybody. It's a Saturday. This is the Week in Review. Thank you all for being here with me. I look forward to jumping into this. It was a week full of surprises and information. I'm going to share with you what we were doing on our trading desk during the week and what we think we'll be doing next week on the trading desk. Um, So this is the show. It's called the Armor Report. I'm your host, Brett Rosenthal. Armor stands for Algorithmic Risk Management Research. What we do here is what we call quantumental investing. It's the combination quantitative execution, which means we use algorithms and computers to tell us when to buy and sell stocks and the market. So we divorce our emotions from the decision-making process. But we combine that with a fundamental foundation of research. And those two things together create the information edge that I share with you guys every time I come on this channel. Um, What we're going to talk about today, right? The actions last week, the Fed meeting, the collapse in the market Thursday. What do we think is going to happen next week. We're going to address all of those issues and we're going to address those issues and how they relate to gold and silver. So those are the main topics today. Any questions you guys have, just fill up the message board and I'll get to those questions at the end. Please remember, I am not telling you how to invest. I don't know you. I couldn't possibly do that, right? So I'm sharing with you information I use on my own trading desk to manage my own assets and manage capital for investors through our interactive brokers affiliation, okay? We also go in depth on these issues with the Armour Report, which you can subscribe to right down here, armorreport.com, A-R-M-R report.com. And, um, and so we share these issues in depth throughout the week on our Slack chat trading room, which is during the trading session, talking with Armor Insiders, which is the name we have for our subscribers, okay? Um, One-on-one conversations with insiders and what have you. So consider doing that. Now, before I jump into this, let me mention a couple things. Number one, thumbs up if you like this. That helps me out. Certainly subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't already. Any comments or questions that you might have that I don't get to today, put them into the comments section of this video and I'll try to get to all those questions throughout the week if you have questions, okay? Now, here's the question I have for you guys. Before I jump into the seriousness of the week and and what we're all here for, I'd like to ask you guys, what's up with the chin cover? What's up with that? I've been quarantined for a while. Now I'm starting to go out. I've got my mask on, all right? I just don't know if I've missed something. Is covering the chin with your mask doing it? I mean, have I missed the report? Has someone got a beat on this? Have I missed something that all of a sudden the chin is what's spreading the virus? Okay, I'm not telling you what to do. Either wear a mask or don't wear a mask. But what are the people doing who have the mask on and they put it on their chin? I don't get it. I don't get it. All right? Just a question I have for you to start the day. One or the other, guys, please. Wear it, don't wear it. All right, enough said. Now, stock market. 
Um, what happened last week? Let's do a quick week and review. Every morning, Armor Insiders have access to an exclusive video I do. It's usually posted by 9 a.m. in the Slack room and on the Armor website of my thoughts on how we're going to handle the trading session for that day, whether it be day trades or swing trades or investing ideas, whatever's on our trading desk. I share it every morning with Armor Insiders. And what I've done for you guys is I've revealed for you the Wednesday morning meeting. You can see the link right down here if you haven't already watched this video. I suggest you do it after we have this chat today. Because on Wednesday, which was the day of the Fed meeting, in the morning, I told all Armor Insiders, Yes, the mechanical bull rages on, but now is the time to reduce your stock market portfolio and to raise cash. And to do that in front of the Fed meeting. Okay? So that's basically right near the top of the market. Then we had the Fed meeting. Then we had the market drop 5 to 7%, depending on the index, on Thursday. So... Why did I say that Wednesday morning? I'm going to give you a brief history, but the Armour Insiders already know this. Bear with me, okay? I'm just sharing this with, with everybody else right now. I'll try to make it brief. The reason, I'm just going to lay it out for you in five steps. The reason we were doing that before the market dropped has nothing to do with the fact that I think we're in a raging mechanical bull market. I still do. I don't think anything has changed about that. If anything, it's going to get more aggressive after what the Fed said. But number one, we all know nothing goes up in a straight line. All you have to do is review 2009 to 2010, 15-month bull market, massive uptrend when the Fed first introduced quantitative easing, and there were a series of 5 to 8% corrections along the way. And they usually didn't last more than a week. Okay? And I would say to you, in today's market, and this is not a statistical fact, it's just eyeballing it, it looks like the volatility today is twice what the volatility was back in 09 through 10. So my guess is, my guess is, we're going to see a 10 to 16% correction. And it would be normal in this raging bull market. The 10 to 16% versus the 5 to 8. And it will just be totally normal. Okay? So we always know there could be corrections. It's still a raging bull market. Why were we selling things Wednesday morning? Okay, why did we sell more on Thursday? Here's the reason. We're looking for triggers that will create the sell-offs that set up for the next market rally. Now, look, 
I am not in the business of predicting. This is not an algorithm where it guesses the market direction. Okay. What I'm doing here is using algorithms to help all of us get on the right side of probabilities and statistics. Okay. So we knew these things. We knew number one, we had a clear and ridiculous, rampant, speculative behavior in the market. Nicola, Hertz, Chesapeake, Genius. I, I don't care if you love these companies. I don't care if you made money day trading or swing trading. Good for you. I mean, well done. That's not the point here. When those assets go up at that rate, okay, that shows you that there is rampant, excessive bullish behavior. Then we look to bullish or bearish indicators using things like um, put call ratios and whatnot. We, we saw massive, like off the chart, bullish readings, completely ridiculous readings. In some cases, readings we've never seen before, okay? And then in the midst of all that, here's the third thing. We started to see VIX go up. With all this crazy bullishness, VIX is starting to creep up. Okay, smart money is starting to hedge. Now, here's the key. Here's why we started raising capital before the Fed news. So we have this balloon of excitement, bullish excitement. We have a raging mechanical bull market, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to get these balloons of excitement that then pop and then you go back to the trend. So what's going to pop it? An Armor Insider brought into our room on Tuesday the fact that there was massive notional value on the ETF SPY of options calls at the 280 level and at the 300 level, like insane amounts of open interest. We're talking like the notional value of more than the trillion dollars. You can't, you can't put together enough people that you would expect to actually convert those calls and buy the underlying, which doesn't happen most of the time anyway. Most options are sold to market makers. People book their profits, okay? So we know that next Friday is quadruple witching. Now, this is not always a problem. It doesn't always mean the market goes down at quad witching. It depends on what the market's done in front of quad witching. And what we've had is a meteoric rise in the market faster than anybody expected. Massive amounts of calls that were in the money at the 280 level with the S&P trading, the SPY, at 320. That's about a 13% drop right in that 10 to 16% window of a normal correction. Okay? So we don't know the day or the series of days where that unwind begins. But we started raising cash in front of the Fed meeting, right? Because the theory was, as I described that morning, that the Fed meeting, I don't care what the news is, it will be the excuse to sell and book profits. And this is precisely, of course, what happened. 
and it created the collapse on Thursday. Okay? So, what happens with quadruple witching? I know this is confusing to a lot of you, so let me just boil it down for you in a couple sentences. At options expiration, most options are sold. People book their profits on the calls there and then money. Who buys those calls? Who's buying those calls? The market makers. Their job is to make a market in options. Their job is not to take risk. So when they buy calls, they in turn sell the underlying, which is the S&P. So if they're getting a ton of calls dumped on them, they're buying all these calls because that's what they do. They're market makers. And they're selling the market as fast as they can. And that's how you get an air pocket. Okay? So what's going to happen next week? I don't know. I don't know. Okay? Um, these are guesses. I'm trying to put you on the right side of probability and statistic. So before the Fed meeting, the right side of probability was reduce risk. You know, there are three stages of the armor investing way. First stage is building your whiteboard, which is the fundamental research stage. The second stage is using algorithms to execute, the execution stage. And the third stage is managing risk. And that you, that's the risk management research phase, right? And it, it's a combination of all different types of stops, but also this, this kind of logical conversation in the morning before the news hits to defend a portfolio after having a huge two-month run, okay? So I don't know what's going to happen next. I think it's totally feasible. I think one of the three things, right? Here are the three things I think might happen next week, and then you decide how you want to handle your own portfolio. I think there's another 6 to 7% down in the market if it wants to go down to the 280 level and clear out all the calls. It's possible. I've seen it happen before. It doesn't have to happen in one day. It could just be the early part of the week. You see down days, down days, until we get back to that 280 level that clears out the calls, which wouldn't be a surprise. Could go below it for a day. Um, and then by Friday, it's over. We could also have, there's no guarantee it has to go down to 280. There just could be a lot of volatility in the first part of the week. You'll get some big sell-offs in the morning as people are dumping calls. Then it rallies in the afternoon. You know, then you get a big gap up in the morning. Then it sells off, closes down at the end of the day. So just a lot of volatility. Okay? Um, but certainly the whole thing should be over by next Friday. On or before next Friday. And then we'll get back to what I think is the mechanical bull market. And the reason I think that is listening to the Fed comments, they were just – you know, wildly bullish for the stock market. Unbelievably bullish for precious metals. I'll get to that in a minute. Interest rates tied to zero or close to zero, whatever, till 2022. Going to keep buying bonds. I mean, people were concerned. They saw the last week. I think some of you guys asked me this previous weekend. Am I concerned about TLT because the government's buying less, uh, the Fed's buying less government bonds? I said, not concerned at all. Okay, but now you shouldn't be concerned either because the Fed said we're done tapering that part of our process. We're going to keep buying treasuries at this rate and we might have to increase it going forward. Oh, my goodness. Right. So take that off the table. And then the third piece to the puzzle, 
I think it was Steve Leisman asked the question, what's going to happen at, um, if you're wrong about the market, the economy, and it does better than you think, will you begin reducing asset purchases? And the answer was no. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I'm paraphrasing now, but Powell said, we learned from our last, you know, our last go round. We never hit our inflation targets. We're going to overshoot this time. We're going to keep adding liquidity and keep interest rates low, even when the economy takes off. Guys, I mean, it doesn't get more simple than this. It's a mechanical bull market. Okay? Doesn't mean there can't be big sell-offs, and it doesn't mean we don't manage risk. I'm telling you fundamentally what I think is happening. Better use your stops. I could be dead wrong. Don't fall in love with what I'm saying. Fall in love with the mechanical bull market. I certainly don't. If I hit stops, I raise cash. And I reassess to try to figure out what's going on. Do I, am I missing something? And if I'm not missing something and the market sets up again, I'll start putting money back to work. Okay? Um, one thought before I move on. Well, two thoughts. Number, number one, this is the week for us to be building and refining our whiteboard now. We're in a heavy cash position. We still have positions in the portfolio that haven't taken out their stops. And guess which positions those are? They're the disruptive growth stocks. They're the established growth stocks. That is the best place for investors to be in the market. I'm not talking about day traders. I'm not talking about swing traders. You can do anything you want. But for my money, for the money I manage, for the Armour Report portfolios that you can see when you log in and what stocks we own and where we bought them, I will continue focusing on disruptive growth. All you have to do is look at those chart patterns. None of them violated stops. They didn't even get close to stops. They had normal sell-offs in a big bull market. They look fantastic. So they outperform on the upside and they've outperformed during market sell-offs. What more do you need to know? I have no interest in chasing airlines or Disney or any of these stocks. I don't care about them. You can day trade them. You can swing trade them if you want. But from an investing standpoint, you want to put money in companies that will be making money regardless of when the economy opens. And it's okay if there's a week or two in there where those stocks take a break and the junk rallies. It's okay. You don't have to chase the junk. And didn't I say this a couple weeks ago when it was happening, that when the junk starts to rally like that, your, your, your correction's right around the corner. When the laggards start leading, you need to start raising cash, raising stops, stop buying things, don't chase things. Because it's generally right before the market has a correction, which we just had. So what we want to do is focus on strength, focus on companies with strong earnings and balance sheets, focus on businesses that work no matter when the economy opens or the rate at which the economy opens. Right. What are those names? You know, throw out a couple Microsoft, Netflix. Right. You get you get the point. Apple. I mean, I'm not buying these stocks. I'm just saying these are no brainer places to put money and it's where everyone's going to hide. Okay. Now um, let's shift over to another thing. I, I do think that we're starting to see an interesting 
um, lead indicator for equities that you might want to watch on your own from a day trading standpoint, and that's HYG. I'm going to show you a quick picture. That is not the picture I wanted to show you. Okay, HYG. Okay, this is um, high yield bonds. This is an index that the Fed is literally buying. The Fed is buying HYG. And this is why I find it so interesting as a lead indicator on the market. What you're looking at right now is a day trading chart that I use with an algorithm called the price movement profiler that we built. Okay. And what you'll see here is a double bottom on HYG that does not even come close to challenging the lows of the previous session. So this is, this is a much stronger index, right? High yield junk bonds. Now look at the S&P. Okay. The S&P made a new low. See this? See this right here, guys? The S&P took out the lows of the previous day. Okay? Meanwhile, HYG was making a higher low and a double bottom on the day. And at 2 o'clock, the S&P bottomed and rallied to the close. That's a positive divergence. I'll show you again. Take a look at this chart. Imprint that in your mind. That's the S&P taking out the low of the previous day. But HYG does not take out the low of the previous day. Okay? That's a footprint of the Fed supporting high-yield junk bonds. And stocks follow bonds. So put that on your day trading window and watch that HYG. And when you get divergences where the equity is making new lows and HYG is making higher lows, start looking for your buy trigger. Just a thought for you day traders. All right. I want to rip into um, gold real quick, and then we'll get to Q&A. Boy, it's hard to unpack gold in a, in, a, in a quick way. First of all, let me say, let me just try to hit it quick so we can get to Q&A. Um, number one. The Fed meeting we heard, okay, on Wednesday, that, that comments from Chairman Powell, you will never hear a better Fed meeting if you're a gold investor. Never. Okay? Metal prices should go a lot higher. Now, there's a difference between bullion and the mining stocks. The mining stocks, many of them are in the S&P 500. We have 100% correlation in the world we live in today. Markets start going down, everything craters. It doesn't mean anything's wrong with gold and silver. It just happens. Okay? That Fed meeting was sick. Now, what I've said to Armour Insiders, and I'll share with you guys, is that we have stops on, you know, the mining stocks. So no matter how excited I am about these, these, these stocks, no matter how excited I am that I think bullion's going a lot higher, the mining stocks close below the low of the Fed meeting day. I'm going to have to dramatically reduce my exposure to miners, and some I'll just sell 100% of. 
and they'll go back on the whiteboard and I'll look for my next entry point. Okay? I defend capital first and I try to capture upside second. So the first step, defend capital. If, 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 if these stocks go below the low of the day that the Fed said they're going to add liquidity and make asset purchases and keep interest rates at zero well past an economic recovery, if they go below the low of the day where the Fed said, we missed our, in, our, our inflation mandate and we're not going to miss it this time, then I have to cut those positions down because there's just something I don't understand. It doesn't get better than that. And to defend myself from myself, I follow stops. Okay? The quickest way to a destruction in capital is to fall so in love with an idea that you're blinded to the trading behavior. So on the one hand, I'm going to tell you right now that I think bullion prices are going to start going up next week and they're going to go up aggressively. And I think that will drag the miners up and eventually the miners will clear whatever quad witching they're dealing with. Let's be honest, those stocks are up huge too. So maybe there's some weakness in those names. When they clear that, they're going to turn around and slingshot past the performance of bullion. Okay. So when I was reducing positions on Wednesday, I was telling everybody, even Thursday, I'm not touching my bullion position, right? We're long gold and silver bullion. I'm not selling that. It's not even close to a stop. It's dramatically higher than whatever stop would make sense. So I'm not touching it. Okay. The mining stocks act like stocks when the market's crashing. They just, everything gets sold. And if I get tripped out of some positions, it's okay. I'll go back to cash there. We got huge gains in these stocks. We'll book some gains. And if they hold at certain levels, I might be right back in them three, four, five days later. I don't care. Okay? But if they crater for some reason that I'm missing something, then I'm out. And I can reassess and wait for whatever the next entry point is. Now, having said all that, let me give you some thoughts on gold. Um, There's a, a massive unwind in the paper market. And I'm just looking at my notes here. It's, it's revealing um, the scale, you know, of the, the unallocated gold situation that we have in the market. There's a lot of shenanigans going on between COMEX and LBMA. I'm going to share with you, uh, I've been telling you that for a couple of weeks now. The, the, the paper market's broken, and there's a scramble on to figure out how to deal with it. And there are footprints of behavior that should lead to a major short squeeze, is my guess. This is just a guess, but we're having a conversation here. I want to show you something. Whoops, that is not what I want to show you. All right, I'm going to show you this right here. Banks have moved gold trading. From New York to London, LBMA says, okay, there's a reason for that. We have an unwind in the paper markets that's revealing the massive unallocated gold. Okay? And it cannot be squared, guys, at these prices. In fact, what we're expecting 
is another major bullion bank that's holding massive underwater naked gold positions. They are going to be forced to fully exit the LBMA, and we think it's going to happen next week. We think we'll see that news next week. Okay? They're going to be forced to fully exit. Okay, guys? Think about that. Another major bullion bank, it's about to be forced out. So, musical chairs is happening. Smaller and smaller chairs, unallocated gold and silver, double counted gold and silver, and eventually, that's going to lead, we think, to a short squeeze. doesn't have to. Governments seem to always pull a rabbit out of a hat these moments. But we think it will. Now, here's some interesting footprints. Silver, um, 14,992 tons um, in the last four months that have been added to SLV. Um, no, that's what they hold. Sorry, that's what they hold. 18 tons added in the last four weeks. 18 tons added in the last four weeks. Is that inflow is impossible. There, there hasn't been that much available. So obviously it's coming off of somebody's books. Somebody's leasing it to SLV. Probably JP Morgan. Okay. Same thing's true about gold. 400, uh, let's see, it's, um, was 198 tons of inflow in the last four weeks. It hasn't been mined. Mines are shut down. It's not possible. So you're getting double counting. People are lending off of their books into GLD and then trying to cover it. And this is the footprint of a paper market that's slowly imploding. And we don't know what the trigger is going to be. It could be next week when another bullion bank gets kicked off the LBMA. We'll see if it happens. I don't know. But if it does, it'll be interesting. Um, I hope that's not too confusing. I mean, there's a lot that goes on in the bullion market. It's hard to explain. Um, but to boil it down for you, there's more gold and silver that's showing up in the ETFs than there could possibly be produced. So it has to be coming off of somebody else's books in a lease. And when you look at that other somebody, JP Morgan, okay, they don't reduce what's on their books. They're kind of double counting. Right? Someone's going to be caught holding the bag. All right. Anyway, I, that's the end of my thought there on gold. Don't get carried away with it. If it takes, if these prices take out your stops, you get out, you reassess. We would be buying it back. We might pay more. We might pay less. Okay. So we'll see. And for me, the key stop is the low of the day of the Fed meeting. Because I don't think it gets better than that. Thanks for your time today. Let's get to questions. Um, what we got here? Good morning, guys. Big week. Yes, it was. Laziness and the heat. All right. Um, Wiggy, I hope I answered your questions regarding... Um, Triple witching. Albert, my friend, let's see. Covering the chin is like the guy's wearing jeans halfway down. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally with you on that. All right. 
Wiggy, how do you know when um, the trillions worth of calls have sold off before limiting further downside pressure on the market? We don't know that, Wiggy. We don't know. Okay, obviously, if we get to the price, if we get to 280, you know, on Monday or Tuesday, it's over. It's just cleared. It doesn't have to go down to that price. So we just have to tread cautiously. And I said this on Wednesday, we're raising cash Wednesday, and I'm not adding anything into the portfolio until we get later in next week. And I don't know exactly the date. Okay, but it could be a bumpy ride next week. So I'm not interested you know, uh, uh, in, in jumping in the market early next week. Let's put it that way. Um, do you think PayPal is a good long-term investment tech monkey? I absolutely do. It's, it's on my whiteboard and I never seem to get a shot at it, but I don't know. Let's take a look. PayPal. See, look at that. I mean, that's a perfect example. I'm going to show you guys this chart. Look at PayPal. That's a perfect example of my point that disruptive growth didn't even blink in that market sell-off. So what are you guys doing chasing airlines unless you're literally day trading them or trading them day-to-day or, you know, quick swing trades? This is the investment to hold. These type of stocks didn't even blink in the sell-off. S&P drops, what, 6%? Small caps, 7%? Uh, barely any decline in, in, in PayPal. So I'd love to find an entry point in there. I just, you know, I've just missed it and I'm waiting for opportunities. This is a great market to be monitoring relative strength breakouts. If the market goes down again early next week, there are going to be some of the greatest stocks. Their relative strengths are going to go breaking out to new highs because the stock prices aren't going down as much. And those should be at the top of your whiteboard. If we get further weakness, you know, one day of selling, it did it a little bit. There's a couple of interesting relative strength charts, but not enough. We need another, we need, you know, three or four days of selling and we'll start to see some relative strengths pop out to new highs of quality companies and armor insiders. I'll be updating the armor whiteboard all week with, you know, the top of the board of what I think looks best. So when we start putting money to work, we'll know right where to go. Tech Monkey, could I, um, could I day trade within an IRA? Of course you can. You can day trade in, in anything. No, nobody stops you from buying and selling. As long as, as my accounts are, you know, look, I, let, me, let me start start over. I don't know what brokerage firm you're working with and what restrictions they may have. So it's better to ask them that question than me, really. Okay? I'll take that back. Because some brokerage firms restrict certain things that, don't make any sense to me, but they do. Um, Jason, um, reduce risk. Happy to be down yeah, 1.5% on the week. Great call. Jason, thanks for that. I appreciate it. Um, and that's a good point, though. I, I'm glad you said that. You're down on the week. Of course we're going to be down on the week. I, I lost money, too, this week. I didn't make a call, you know, on Wednesday saying sell everything. I think we have a raging mechanical bull market. But I think there are times to reduce risk and raise cash. So you're dictating to the market and the market's not dictating to you. You've got cash on hand, the market craters, and you're not panicked. Instead, you're thinking, great, got my cash. I'll look for the next entry point. Um, Kevin. Oh, Kevin answer. Okay. Thank you, Kevin, for that answer to Tech Monkey. <laughs> 
Politics for Dummies, you called this. I reduced risk and preserve profits. Brilliant. I'm so glad you did it. Glad I could help. Um, Stephen uh, Kreisberg, Brett, do you think that because it looks like now Trump will lose the election, his generals have turned against him, how do you think that will affect the market? Okay. First of all, I wouldn't count Trump out at all. Okay. I think I don't care what the generals are saying or what the news says or what polls say. I mean, we learned that last time. Um, if the economy is back on its feet, uh, um, you, you know, and job numbers are coming back and people are doing well, that means more than all the other stuff. So we have to see. I don't, you know, I have to see. But anyway, I try to keep politics out of it. Um, and and um, it just may be too early to worry about that, I guess is my point. And there's no way to know that. So what we'll have to do is watch how the market behaves into the election. And if it becomes an issue that you're concerned about, if that becomes an issue, then the market will roll over top and we'll get stopped out of all of our indexes and our risk monitor will go red and we'll have to raise tons of cash. That's just how we'll handle it. Okay, so we'll see because there'll be two conflicting situations. And you know what? It might be another example of what happened this week. The market might run again towards, you know, September, October and peak. And we'll want to raise cash in front of the election. You know, so we'll just have to see. It's hard to guess this far out. Um, cannabis couch, please. Southeastern, Southeastern 99. Okay. The first thing we sold on Wednesday morning were all of our cannabis stocks. Okay. We cut our disruptive growth down. We booked some profits here or there. Okay. But we sold all of our cannabis stocks. The reason is simple. At the moment, those stocks go up and down only when people are chasing aggressive beat up sectors. It doesn't make sense. I love cannabis. I want to own it. I think it'll be great. But right now they go up and down with the energy airline, blah, blah, blah stocks, which makes no sense, but that's how they trade. So the first place to get out of those stocks was Wednesday morning. We're done for right now. Let them come down. Let them base. Let them prove me wrong. Make higher lows. And I'll go at it again. Okay? But for right now, if you look at the performance of the disruptive growth, it so outperforms cannabis. For me, it's always an opportunity cost of money. Where would I rather have my capital? And right now, I'd rather have it in, in disruptive growth and in established growth. Because those stocks hold up the best in market sell-offs. And they outperform in market rallies. And isn't that our job? It's not our job to invest in what we love. It's our job to invest in what makes money. And keep what we love on the whiteboard and keep looking for entry points until we hit the right market environment that rips those stocks higher for a sustainable move. All right. Um, okay. Um, Jesse. When would be a, uh, a great time to begin investing in precious metal miners? Okay. Um, you're welcome for the content. Thanks for being here and watching. Appreciate that. Um, on the one hand, I would say right now, 
I mean, the cl- buying something as close to the stop as possible is my favorite thing to do. And the stop is clearly, in my mind, the low of Wednesday. So if you're willing to buy something and then immediately sell it if it closes below the low of Wednesday, now's the time to buy it. But, I mean, you know, that's kind of where I stand right now. I'm not, I'm, I'm not telling you what to do. Jesse, because I don't know you. I can't look in your portfolio and say, you got to go do this. I don't know what your portfolio looks like. So I can't recommend for you, go do this. But if you're asking where would I own these names, I'm going to own them as close to the stop as possible. Because I don't care if I own them here and I have to sell them Monday at the close, I'll sell them. I'll get stopped out, back on the whiteboard, look for my next entry point. Okay. I will seriously be confused if those stocks close below the low of the greatest, most bullish Fed announcement I've ever heard as a precious metals investor for the last 20 years. And that's not an overstatement. It really isn't. And the stocks responded that way on Wednesday. If you you recall, the market already sold off, went to the lows, and GDX was skyrocketing. And then it just cratered with the market on Thursday. So if we're in some kind of a weird market that's cratering, they're going to take down the miners. I'm going to get stopped out, but I'm sure I'll be back in them in the not too distant future because I think bullion itself is going to be moving higher. And and I think it's going to move higher in the near term. Oh boy. But you know, these are just guesses, man. I'm, I'm about, I'm about putting us on the right side of probability and then managing the risk. I think the probability is right here, but then we have to manage the risk quickly if I'm wrong. Okay, so please understand that. Um, Brad, do most bullion stocks allow you to trade in for physical? Brad, um, Sprott Physical Gold and Silver are the only assets that I buy from a bullion standpoint, unless I literally own gold coins, which I do, but that's not for this conversation. So when I'm buying stocks, I don't buy SLV or GLD because I don't believe that they actually have the metal behind it. It doesn't mean you can't make money trading it. My concerns about those ETFs probably will never come true. But I'm just saying if the price of the metal skyrockets at some point and you get $3,000 gold and $50 plus silver, will there be a moment when people realize that the GLD and SLV they hold is is phantom. There's not real gold behind it. There's not real silver behind it. It's been leased in. And then the guy who did the leasing pulls it back and says, forget about you. I want this asset. I don't know. So we own Sprott physical gold and silver. They have gold bars held outside the the banking system, audited four times a year. And if you hold the asset for more than 12 months, you can get delivery of the bars. So that's where I go for my bullion investments. Understanding full well that there's risk in everything we do, right? So this is just a best guess. Having done some fundamental research, this is where I want my bullion positions. Okay. uh, Any thoughts on FMCI? FMCI. Nothing for you there. But I really don't like blank check companies. So this is a blank check company. I, I, I really can't stand those companies. Okay. 
And I know that VTIQ was just a huge winner because it took over Nicola and the stock went ballistic, but that's not normal. So I stay away from blank check companies. Um, any thoughts on INO? Inovio Pharmaceutical. Yeah, right. I, um, I can't get any edge on that. And so I've stayed away from a lot of these COVID-19 stories other than Gilead, which we took, we took a position in early and we booked our profit already and we're out. From an opportunity cost of money, I'm just investing in other places where I feel I have the ability to create information edge, and I don't have it in Inovio. Um, it's backed by Bill Gates. Yep. I, I, I know what you're saying, Albert. It, it hasn't taken off. I know. Um, I'm just not in the business of gambling, and to me, it's a gamble because I can't possibly know what the results are going to be. You know, if it's a winner, the stock goes through the roof. You know, if the results are negative, the stock craters. And that just doesn't work for me. Tesla, any thoughts? Jasmine, how are you this morning? Nice to hear from you. Tesla. Hmm. Well, there's Tesla stock. It certainly fits in the category of unbelievable disruptive growth stocks that continue to outperform. It has the same type of chart pattern, honestly, as, you know, Apple, you know, or Microsoft or Adobe, you know, or Tesla. So um, I, I just can never get behind this stock. You know, uh, I'm sorry. I just I just can't do it. And it's been, you know, it's been a big mistake, right? I mean, there's a lot of money I could have made there, but I just don't buy Tesla. All right. Do you think BGG has finished his long way down? Do you think BGG? Briggs and Stratton manufactures air-cooled gasoline engines for outdoor power. Is that your question, my friend? Um, I don't know. I don't have um, any thoughts on BGG. I'd have to take a look for you, okay? I'm pretty sure you're an insider, my friend, right? So just give me a shout in the Slack room to remind me on Monday, and um, I'll do some research and look into it for you. Jasmine says, um, will this time's rebound start with gold first and then silver? Other PMs like the March? I don't really know, you know? I, I don't know. Um, I do think that... Uh, we're expecting to hear on Tuesday that a major uh, bullion bank has uh, left the LBMA and is no longer participating because they have such underwater positions. And that could be a catalyst that starts, you know, um, the metals really moving. Um, 1750 on gold is the price I'm looking at. I'd like to see it take out the high of 1750 and I think we'll start to get some movement, you know, and really $20 on silver. I mean, it's not even, it hasn't even started yet in silver. It just runs up and gets wrecked. When there's this economic, you know, not, economy not going to recover fast enough, you know, algorithmic trade to sell off commodities, it, it's, it's meaningless. There's a massive short position in silver that still has to be unwound. So I don't know about that. All right, Ravi, any thoughts on Vroom IPO? Um, not really. 
I'll have, to, I'll have to look into that. I'll see you in the Slack room also. Just you know, remind me on Monday, and, and I'll take a peek at that. But I will say this. I generally don't invest in IPOs uh, immediately. I, I, in order for algorithms to be even remotely effective, they need data. Okay? And I use algorithms to execute, right, the armor investing way. Number one, first stage research, fundamental. Second stage, execution research, algorithms. I, an algorithm won't work on a stock that's just come public. I generally need six months of data before I can start coming up with a model that gives me probabilities that are even remotely accurate. So if it's an idea you like, it goes on the whiteboard. You start to watch it, wait for it to build a pattern that makes sense, and then start executing. Wiggy, what happens if people start buying puts for this Friday because of the quad which leveling or is this unlikely to occur based on the amount of calls? Yeah, so um, this is a good question. Let me, let me, um, let me explain. Um, it's a good question because quad witching sometimes leads to a rally in the market. But um, normally, these, most of the time, these markets work in a normal functioning way. You only get imbalances when you get massive, unexpected moves higher or lower in front of an OPEX, right? So the massive move here over a couple months was this rip higher in the market, okay? And so the calls have to get unwound. There wouldn't be nearly enough puts put on in, in a week to create a, a balance. Do you see what I'm saying? Put buying, it happens the other way. If the market crashes and there's massive amounts of puts that are in the money, the market rips higher into OPEX. Why? If people sell their puts to book a profit, the market maker buys the put and in turn buys the underlying asset. Okay? So that imbalance is going to find its own way the rest of the week. And there's, not a, there's no amount of put buying in the next couple of days that's going to fix that. Okay? Um, um, Wiggy, can you... Um, where can we find put call ratio or values? You, you can you can you can look that up online. Um, you you know we're at there's ways to, to Google that. I'll leave it up to you. Um, Tech monkey. I'm, oh okay. Brad, did you find um, oh did you find out IIPR is being removed from brokers? Okay, that's a great question. Right. So last weekend we were talking about this um, innovative properties. Is it actually true? Okay. So. I did speak to uh, Catherine Hastings, the CFO of the company, and um, so far there is, you know, absolutely no uh, communications between IIPR and the New York Stock Exchange that suggest any delisting, so that's completely erroneous. Um, she told me they're not the first brokerage firm, Bank of New York, um, um, Merrill Lynch, you know, B of A, is not the first bank brokerage firm to not allow clients to buy IIPR. She said the first was Wells Fargo, and that happened a couple of years ago. So any explanation for it? It's just compliance officers inside that bank have made a decision, and there's really nothing for them to do. But I don't care about that. I don't want them to do something. I don't care if Merrill Lynch is stupid. They'll just lose clients to interactive brokers. Works for me. <laughs> but... Um, um, what concerns me is, you know, I wanted to know, are there any communications, anything we should know? And so there's nothing we should know. There's no communications. IIPR is putting money out. 
They just cut a couple new deals. So they're continuing to follow their, their, their business model. But I will have to tell you, Brad, it is a risk. It's a risk. I mean, and I don't know how to quantify that risk. So the best thing for me is position size, right? I just, I can't carry a position that's too big. But I think the risk is infinitesimally small. I really do. Particularly the direction this country is going. I think it would be very odd for the New York Stock Exchange to just all of a sudden write a new rule that says delist this company. I just think that would be very odd. Okay. Um, what else we got here? Phil. Okay. Any, uh, any thoughts on solo S O L O. I love this section of uh, Q and a, I get these questions. I've never even heard of these companies. Solo Canada based company design manufactures, um, electronic vehicles. I got nothing for you there, my friend. I'll have to do some work on that. But then again, I don't really buy stocks that are, you know, one to two dollar stocks. It's not really my thing. And, and this thing only trades on an average day, something like, I don't know, the average volume. Recently, the average volume has been three million shares. But you go back a couple of weeks, the volume was a half a million shares on a two dollar stock. Even a, even a million shares on a two dollar stock is nothing. That's nothing. Think about one player could could move that stock price. I could move the stock price. <laughs> I mean, so I can't possibly invest in something that that thin. That's why I don't share those ideas on YouTube with you guys. You're going to have to handle those stocks on your own because I really don't ever want to be seen as somebody on YouTube who's manipulating the price of the stock. And so generally, the companies I talk about are well-established have a lot of shares outstanding and my conversation and my buying or selling doesn't really change the price of the stock dramatically. I don't respect, I do not respect other people in my business on YouTube talking up penny stocks that have tiny amounts of volume because I guarantee you those people are buying the stock first in their own personal account and then promoting it. It's the oldest trick in the book. It's the oldest trick in the book. It's, it's very close to a Ponzi scheme. Sure, if you're the first guy in and other fools drive the stock price up, you make some money. But that's not investing. That's gambling, and I would stay away from it. Now, I don't know anything about this company, by the way. I'm just telling you, my basic thoughts on other guys in the business on YouTube talking about how great they are because they drive small peanut sized stock prices higher as they promote it. That's not really investing. Okay. Um, let's see. A couple more questions here. Thoughts on the coming week, Eric, man. Thoughts on Tesla this coming week. I don't, I don't have any Tesla thoughts this week, guys. You know, I'll have to see how the market trades, and then I would trade like any other stock if you, if you want to. It's not, it's not on my whiteboard. Um, the Big D, you're welcome, and thank you for appreciating the effort. Eric, uh, people will be unloading puts from Tesla drop. Makes me believe it touched 1,000 again. Okay, I have no, no comments there. 
All right. Um, Albert, better safe than sorry. That's what I'm thinking. Ethan. Okay. I uh, spoke with Merrill. Oh, they say they're conservative and they don't like the cannabis business because federal government hasn't legalized it. Give me a break, Ethan, right? I mean, give me a break. It's a ridiculous, out-of-touch, out-of-date thought from Merrill Lynch, but I don't expect anything less from Merrill Lynch and B of A. There are a lot of stuffed shirts over there. You know, we should all, you know, send them a vape is what they need. <laughs> all right, Wiggy, any thoughts on BB regarding security of their phones? Blackberry. I got nothing for you there. Nothing on Blackberry. I'll have to take another look. Matthew Perry, thanks for your insights. Subscribing. Wonderful. Look forward to having you, Matthew. Can't wait to chat with you one-on-one. After you subscribe, don't forget, let's uh, talk one-on-one. You have that access to me as a subscriber, okay? Barbara, what are your th- what are your thoughts for WLL? Is that what that is? Oh, white. Oh, yeah, whiting. God, you know, what are my thoughts on energy? You know, I'm, I'm just not a buyer of those stocks. To me, this is opportunity cost of money. And I will say it again, because it bears repeating. Look at the stocks that are outperforming in the last three months. I think they will continue to outperform. There will be short windows where you can make money trading energy, airlines, all these other things. Have at it. I hope you make money. For my capital, for the capital I manage, I'm focused on companies that will outperform no matter when the economy opens, no matter how fast the economy opens. That is at the top of my whiteboard. Um, info on GRWG secondary. Um, I'm ecstatic that, that Grow Generation is doing a secondary. All it's going to do is bring in institutional investors. I like the lead underwriter, which is Oppenheimer. Okay. Um, had the lead underwriter been someone like Roth Capital, I wouldn't be so excited. But, and that's no offense to Roth, they're just a you know, peanut sized company. I want a real company that has institutional might. And I think Oppenheimer is a company like that. So, um, don't know when that deal is going to get done, probably sometime in the next 30 days. Spoke to the CFO, said they're waiting for a response from the SEC to figure out when they can do this deal. So I, I think the stock will meander at these prices until it gets priced. We don't know where the deal is going to get priced, right? So for my money, when it comes to when do you want to buy more, um, I don't want to buy anything right now anyway, but I'm not buying that stock until I see the deal. And I'd like to see it get priced. And then, you know, then I can start deciding if I want to add to my position or not. Um, Okay, Barbara, if they come out of Chapter 11 in July, I'm just not, I'm not a guy who bets on companies that might come out of Chapter 11. There are institutions, there are hedge funds, there are guys that only buy distressed debt and distressed stocks because they do a massive amount of research to figure out what companies will make it out of bankruptcy. If you're that person, if you're that woman, 
and you think you've got edge, have at it. But that's not my strength. You know, all we can do is play to our strengths. That's all any of us can do. And that's a quote from a movie, for those of you who know. All right? All we can do is play to our strengths, pal. That's all any of us can do. Um, okay. Um, any more thoughts on work? Yeah, Phil, I love work. It's at the top of my whiteboard. It's an example of a disruptive growth stock that's going to do well no matter what the economy does. Okay, I know they got 20% of their revenue from small businesses. So they've already said in the last conference call, the economy takes longer to open. They're not going to have great numbers, perhaps. Okay, so if the economy opens faster, the stock will do better. But I think over time, that's not really the issue. They've already taken down everyone's expectations. My guess is the business will continue to grow. So it's on my whiteboard and it's at the top of the board. Um, uh, Matthew, it does have an option for discount code, but we don't have any discounts at the moment. Um, we can barely handle the business we're getting right now, um, and which I really appreciate all of you Armour Insiders that are joining and really making the Slack room a wonderful place to share information. I mean, I know I share information all day with Armour Insiders in the Slack room, but let me just take a moment to say thank you to all the Armour Insiders that are sharing your information because it's making me a better investor. It's making me a better trader. And that, I mean, that's the most anyone can ask. I mean, it's really, it's really great to have you guys. And so anybody joining, you know, bringing information in, thanks for making that environment as, as strong as it is from an information gathering environment. Um, Nick, thank you. See you again next week in the Slack room. All right, guys, I think we're done for the day. Thank you so much for spending the time with me. I look forward to seeing all my Armour Insiders on Monday for the Monday morning uh, video. And um, all, you know, subscribers to uh, the Armour Report YouTube channel. I look forward to doing another Armour Education video this week. So if you guys got thoughts on what you would like to discuss on an armor education video, leave me comments, not here on this board because I'm about to shut down, but leave the comments in this comment section of this video of what questions you've got. And I'll see if I can put together a video that addresses specific questions that you all have about any type of investing that you want me to discuss, okay? Thanks for being here. You guys are great. And I'll see you again on Monday. Take care, guys.